0: Mouse asked earlier during the liturgy, how many of you recognize one of the blessings that we were reciting during the liturgy? Um, Known as the Matovu. Matovu halal lecha Yaakov. That's from this parasha this week. If you didn't realize it, maybe you didn't read this week's parasha. I'm, I'm just... I'm just saying, could be, but hey, I don't know. But yeah, if you would have read it in English, you know, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your sanctuaries, O Israel. We're, Miles kinda used one of my, my punchlines, if you will, for this morning's sermon. But that's okay, I'm gonna do it anyway, cause we were talking earlier and there was a discussion about who's who in the movie Shrek, okay? And so the original title, and it'll, we'll stay with it, Steve, is a king, a prophet, a donkey, and God's people. But after discussing it, it I, I thought, hey, this, this could be, it could be a lord, l, uh, small l, by the way, small l, a lord, Shrek, a donkey, and God's people. How many of you did... I saw the hands earlier, but how many have seen Shrek? Now, how many know who the ruler of that kingdom was? Lord Maximus Fauntleroy. Why wasn't he a king? Farqua, Farqua. yeah. Why wasn't he a king? He wasn't of royal descent. That's why it was important for him to marry a princess so he could become a king by virtue of marriage. Okay, But in today's parasha, we are actually talking about a king. I have a question that before we launch into the rest of the study. Why did God become so angry with Balaam? Because don't we read in the parasha that He did what God told him to do, only to have God then send an angel to kill him. But did he send the angel to kill him? We don't know because he didn't accomplish his task, thanks to a donkey. So why did he do that? Some say disobedience. Um, But what does this parasha teach us about what God expects and desires of us? Because whether we were raised in a synagogue or in a church or not at all in any form of religious practice, most of us are familiar and we're familiar with the story of the talking donkey other than watching Shrek. But there are various reasons that this story becomes familiar to us. And if for no other reason, it's because the donkey talked. So, who are the main characters in this story? And what can we learn from their actions? Let's begin with the donkey. The almost obvious one, right? It's the one that most people point to when we talk about Balak. Now, something I didn't realize, uh, about donkeys when I first, when I've read the text over and over again. But, researching on the internet, which is so reliable, right? But it can be. It can be a source of information. Sometimes misinformation, but that's beside the point. But one sermon that I I found on the net that noted in biblical times, donkeys were the original all-purpose vehicle. They were the ATVs of that time. Because they were used for transportation. They were used for carrying loads. They were used for grinding grain. And they were used for plowing fields. The all-purpose vehicle. The donkey. You could even compare that to a farmer's tractor or pickup truck. That farmer relies on his pickup truck and his tractor to do all of his work. Well, that's what the donkey was. And they were extremely... Dependable. All you had to do really is feed them. I mean, they're working in the field, so you really have to bathe them. Just kept them fed. And they did all the work. Unlike the tractor or the pickup truck that you'd have to do tune-ups and you'd have to fill it with gas and they break down and you have to do repairs, the donkey just kept on going. Very dependable. And they, they're, for the most part, very gentle and very friendly to people. I said generally. I hear laughter, but they generally are. You could say that the only downside to donkeys is their mule-headedness. According to one source, the infamous donkey stubbornness keeps these animals and their riders out of danger. Well, that's what happened in this particular parasha, isn't it? Now, I found on horsechannel.com, yeah, we're talking about donkeys, but there are similarities. It says that they are very intelligent creatures who don't scare as easily as horses. When threatened, they tend to freeze, which is probably how they got the reputation of being stubborn. They just would not move. So that tells us that the reaction we read about concerning Balaam's donkey when she sees the angel of God standing there with a fiery sword was a natural reaction. That was normal for the donkey to just freeze and not move. Scripture tells us quite a few things about donkeys. In Genesis 22.3 it tells us that Abraham saddled his donkey as he prepared to take Isaac to be sacrificed. And in Genesis 42, it tells us about how Joseph's brothers took donkeys with them when they were going to get food in Egypt. Exodus twenty says that Moses saddled his donkey as he's preparing to go to Egypt to lead the Israelites out of slavery. And let's not forget about one of the more important donkeys in Scripture, we read about it first in zechariah nine nine as a prophecy, and then we see in matthew twenty one five that Yeshua would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey just before his crucifixion. so it, it seems like there were donkeys were fairly important in scripture, according to Exodus thirteen thirteen the firstborn male were the only unclean animals of the un- unclean animals that were required to be redeemed by the sacrifice of a lamb. Donkeys are unclean. So why is, do they need to sacrifice a lamb for the firstborn of the donkeys? But that's what the scripture tells us. In Exodus 23, 12, it required a man's donkey had to rest on Shabbat. Again, the donkey is unclean, but yet, the donkey rested too. In Exodus twenty-two three, it says that if it's stolen, a thief was required to pay back twice the value of the donkey. It's an unclean animal. Why do you have to pay so much for that thing? Because they're very important in Scripture. In Exodus 23, five, specifically, it commands that if you see the donkey of one that hates you lying down under its burden, do not leave it. Rather, you are to release it with him. So you're supposed to help the donkey with his load. But the donkey, that's his job, not mine. Oh, well, that's not what Scripture tells me. And there are only they're one of only two animals mentioned in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20:17, do not covet your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his manservant, his maidservant, his ox, his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. So it seems God held the donkey in a little bit of higher regard than we might. And it was very valuable to the Israelites. It, it did all their work. And not to mention, apparently, again, God saw some importance in that donkey. And that is probably more than you ever wanted to know about donkeys. Donkeys. It's more than I knew, but now I know more than I did. So now let's look at the next character of this story, the Midianites. But more specifically, their king at the time, who our Torah portion is named after, Balak. He wakes up one day. He finds an entire nation of people passing through his land. I mean, how would you feel? I mean, obviously, Balak was not a very happy camper to find this happening. And that would be an understatement. So, But after he heard about how they defeated the Amorites, he realizes he can't fight them alone. So he sends his messengers to a well-known prophet by the name of Balaam. He is said to be connected to God himself. The plan was to ask Balaam to come and curse the Israelites so that God will help Balak defeat them. So Balak sends his entourage. They go to Balaam. And of what Scripture tells us is a is going price for the div- divination fee. There's a set rate, just like you go into any market or any place. That's how much this costs you. Well, they already knew how much it costs to hire a prophet to curse the people. So he sent the money with them. He has a reputation that whenever he blesses someone, they remain blessed. And whenever he curses someone, they remain cursed. So off goes this entourage. Entourage with the price for cursing the people. But after seeking God's direction on Bala- Balak's request, Balaam sends them back to Balak and says in Numbers twenty-two three, Go back to your country, for Adonai has refused to let me go with you. So he listened to God. He did what God said. Don't go with these people. Now, Balak must have thought, at this point, maybe his officials weren't very persuasive. And so, maybe he hadn't offered enough compensation. I mean, that was the going rate, but maybe it was going to cost a little more. So what is, Numbers 22.15 15 says that Balak again sent other dignitaries, more numerous and honored than these previous ones. And the rabbis say that they sent, he sent quite a larger sum to pay for cursing the israelites initially when they come back balaam again rejects them but he still decides to seek god's direction once again this is where you could say he was being disobedient god already said do not curse them because i blessed them why would he need to once again go back to god and say can i do this yeah, Maybe I can cha- convince you I can do more for you with this money than these people can. But this time, something interesting happened. God did give him permission to go. But only, and only if he does and says exactly what God has told him to do. So, in Numbers twenty two twenty one, 21, it says... That Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite princes. It's interesting when you read some of the commentaries and you read some of the stories that are out there. You will not find this in the text. Did I say you will not find this in the text? There are those that say during the night... Balaam said, you know, I'll just go with them. And I'll pretend I'm not going to curse the Israelites. But when I get there, I'm going to curse them. Of course, those same commentaries say, so they actually thought they could fool God. He could fool God. Uh, no. So they, he, they say that's why the incident with the angel came about. Because God knew what he was thinking. Again, you won't find that in the text. It's just supposition. But as our story continues, once Balaam does arrive, if we skip ahead a little bit, he not only does not curse the Israelites, but he blesses them. Not once, not twice, but three times as God directed him. And, of course, frustrated and extremely unhappy, Balak storms off, and Judges 11.25 would indicate to us that he never was able to prevail against Israel. So let's take a little bit closer look at Balaam. Even though he was a prophet for hire, it turns out that many believe that Balaam was also a prophet of God. There are some preachers, teachers, rabbis, scholars that argue with that conclusion. Most of them choose to believe that Balaam was nothing more than a greedy pagan prophet that engaged in sorcery for a price. One preacher went on to to say that Balaam was not a Jew. He was just a foreign prophet from Mesopotamia. Well, on one hand, that preacher was absolutely right. Balaam was not an Israelite. He was not a Jew. He was also not one of God's chosen people. He was an outsider. Despite those facts, it could be argued that he was still a prophet of God. And here's a f- three reasons why we can believe that to be true. You, you can find your own beyond this if you want, but I came up with three. I'm trying to, trying to limit the time here. But if Balaam were only a pagan prophet and not a prophet of God then God couldn't have cared less if he would have cursed Israel. Because a pagan prophet could have pronounced curses on Israel all day, every day, and would have accomplished absolutely nothing. Because God, as he already said, has already blessed them. So a pagan prophet could not reverse what God has done. So for that reason it would seem that Balaam was indeed a prophet of God. As a matter of fact, there were times when Balaam spoke that he had a reputation of speaking in the name of the one true God. Second reason you could consider that he is a prophet of God because he referred to the God of Israel and always called him by his covenant name. I don't know how many of you read through Parsha and noticed some of the highlighted, the all caps, the translations and whatever v- version you use. In Numbers 22.8, Balaam calls Balak's messengers, or he tells them, them, spend the night with me, and I'll give you an answer just as yud heh vav speaks to me. You can look it up. You can go to the Hebrew, and you'll see it's the Tetragrammaton. And again, in, v- in verse 13 of chapter 22, he says, Go back to your country, for yud heh vav has refused to let me go with you. Now, most of your translations will say the Lord, all caps, or Adonai, all caps. That's usually translated by most translators from the Tetragrammaton. Most of the English translations do that. So this, again, would be some indication to us that he's not seeking the advice of a pagan god. He's speaking to the Most High God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The last reason I'm going to give for why we can think he's a prophet of God, is because in his third blessing, he prophesied about the coming Messiah. Did you catch that when you read through the parasha? In Numbers twenty four seventeen? he says, I see him, yet not at this moment. I behold him, yet not at this location. For a star will come from Jacob, a scepter will arise from Israel. Does that sound at least familiar from the B'rithadashah? Because many scholars, most scholars, understand that this prophecy concerning the, was a prophecy concerning the Magi or the wise men from the East who followed that Eastern star that led them right straight to the newborn Yeshua. For these reasons alone, again, there could be more. I'm convinced that Balaam was a prophet of the one true and living God. He may have gotten paid to do other stuff, but in this instant, he was doing what God said. And every time Balak sends his envoys to hire Balaam to curse the Israelites, Balaam does turn to God for approval and instructions. Up until now in the story, I'm able to follow most of what's going on. Then while he's on his way to the king, God sent the angel to kill him. Again, three times. Why? What went wrong? See, I'm not exactly sure what went wrong other than the fact that if he did say, don't do it, they're blessed, he shouldn't have gone back and asked him again. Yeah, that's a bit of disobedience. Or maybe it's, you could also look at it, how many times... Have you gone to God and prayed about a particular thing and you don't get an answer right away? So you go back and ask about that thing again. Is that disobedience? It could be. But I want to make sure I'm hearing from God. Maybe that's what Balaam was doing. He wanted to make sure that God was going to be consistent with him and say, yes, you're not supposed to curse them because they're already blessed. But it's somewhat obvious that somewhere along the line, the money and the prestige may have been sounding really good to him and maybe too good to pass up, which caused him to question what God had already told him. Could be. But I have a couple questions for you. Do you think that if an angel of God was really there to kill Balaam, that the angel couldn't have finished the job? That donkey was not going to stop the angel from killing Balaam. Second question is, do you think that if God really wanted him killed, he would even need the angel? You may recall in the of Shah even as they were speaking, they fell dead. More than once we read that. God can do without the angel. He can do it without a prophet. He can do it on his own. So, that's why I don't know if the angel was really there to kill him. Otherwise, he'd have been dead. So, both questions, the answer is, of course not. He's God. He can do and will do whatever he wants anytime he wants. He doesn't have to ask our permission. He doesn't have to ask the donkey's permission. But that donkey sure didn't want to keep going toward that angel with the sword drawn. So I don't think for one second that the angel was actually there to kill him. I think he was there to get his attention and, more importantly, teach him a very important lesson. God said it. That settles it. It's done. You don't need to ask him again. But I think this story... Of how God taught Balaam this lesson should serve as a reminder even for us as well that when God says something, we need to listen and we need to obey. We need to do whatever He says whenever He says it, even if it sounds like the craziest thing you've ever heard. Now that's when I would ask for maybe for confirmation to make sure I'm not going crazy and make sure oh, that was that you Lord? Okay, I'll do it. So, but what could God have been trying to teach Balaam? And of course, I think it's fairly obvious. First thing was, don't disobey God. Secondly, don't attempt to twist or manipulate God or anything that belongs to him, especially his chosen people. And if you do either of those things, it can be dangerous, It can also be a bit scary, and it can become deadly if God wants it to be. So God told Abram, if you recall, back in Genesis chapter 12, get going out from your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation, to bless you, to make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. My desire is to bless those who bless you, but whoever curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You think Abraham was a little afraid? I think he was. To go to something unknown? But he was also encouraged because God told him to do it. And even he would have known that if he told him to do it, he's able to do it. But it's got to be a little scary. You're leaving, leaving your homeland. Everything you know is here. And he's telling you to go there. What's there? All these Gentile nations are there. And it could have been a little scary for Abraham. So why do you think God sent this angel to stop Balaam? 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 tells us that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise and some, as some consider slowness. Rather, he is being patient toward you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I don't think God was going to give up on Balaam. He didn't want to give up on him. He may have been frustrated with him, like he's not frustrated with any of us at times. Of course. But he doesn't do away with us. Hallelujah. Because guess what? God doesn't want to didn't want to give up on Balaam, and He doesn't want to give up on any of us either. He never wanted to do that. Because of that, look at the life of Yeshua. Yeshua spent time with common, sometimes uneducated people. He spent time with those who had little money or influence, even. He spent time with prostitutes and sinners. Because Yeshua never wanted to give up on anyone. But at the same time, he didn't excuse their behavior. He never overlooked the sin and the disobedience. What he did do is spend time with them. Because he refused to accept the idea that people could never change. He did not accept the idea, that's the way they've always been, so that's the way they'll always be. But how many of us have thought that about somebody in our lives? But Yeshua did not do that. But as we know, that's not how God operates. Throughout Scripture, it becomes apparent that anyone and everyone can change. They can, and many have, just like many of us, all because of the shed blood of Yeshua. In John chapter 14, beginning at verse 12, Yeshua said, Amen, amen, I tell you, he who puts his trust in me, the works that I do, he will do. And greater than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, so that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask, any, ask me anything in my name, I will do it. wow, so we're going to be able to do even greater things than Yeshua did in his earthly ministry. If that's not a scary enough thought, he expects that we will do it. Let's see. But Yeshua healed people. He fed thousands with a little bit of food. He walked on water. He controlled the storms and he even raised the dead. I can do a lot of things and I've done many things in prayer, but I have never done any of those things. I don't know about you. I haven't. But he says, well, I can do greater things than these. How could you or I possibly do greater things than those things Yeshua did? Well, one thing that comes to mind is the ability to lead someone to salvation. The shed blood of Yeshua may have saved many people, but that's not the same as leading someone to salvation. Take the story of Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, on his way to Damascus. Yeshua told him in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, Get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Okay, we all know that Yeshua could have saved him right then and there on the road. He didn't have to send him to anybody. He didn't have to have someone else lead Shaul to salvation. He could have done it himself. But he didn't. He left that to a man named Ananias. Why? Because greater things than what he did, we will be allowed to do also. Then there's a story of the Ethiopian eunuch. An angel directed Philip to go and teach this Ethiopian about Yeshua. When the Ethiopian becomes convinced that he needed Yeshua, he asks in Acts 8.36, Look, water, what's to prevent me from being immersed? Now, just like the angel of, of Balaam, this angel could have just as easily led this Ethiopian eunuch to Yeshua himself but he didn't. He left that up to Philip. Why? Because greater things than this, than what he did, will be, we will be allowed to do. We've been given a tremendous privilege, to say the least. The only way you can do what God wants you to do is be like Balaam's donkey. God used the donkey because Balaam trusted and depended on that donkey. Can Yeshua count on you and I to do what he wants us to do like the donkey did? He used the donkey because of its mule-headedness. It was going to do whatever it needed to do no matter what the consequences because it didn't want to be killed. He saw the danger. She saw the danger. Balaam didn't see anything. Again, he may have been focusing on the money and not thinking about what's in front of him. The donkey's going to take me there. I trust my donkey to take me where I need to go. And that's all he knew. And that's exactly the kind of servant God wants us all to be. Number one, he wants us to talk to someone that trusts us. Because, you know, I can't go to some of your friends and relatives and be successful because they don't know me. They don't trust me, but they know and trust you. Second, he wants us to talk to someone who depends on us. That's how you get the in. That's how you're able to speak to them. That's why they'll listen, because they depend on you. They trust you. And lastly, he wants us to be ready for it mule-headed enough to keep talking until they listen. That's otherwise known as persistence. You don't give up on anyone, because God surely didn't give up on any of us. And he didn't give up on Balaam. He didn't give up on his chosen people. He never gives up. Above all else, he wants someone who is willing to stand in the gap between their friends and judgment. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all will come to repentance and receive eternal life through Yeshua. In conclusion, and this is not going to be a Rav Shaul conclusion that's going to last for the next 15, 20 minutes. It's a very short conclusion. It's about an atheist who once told William Booth, who knows who William Booth was? He's the founder of the Salvation Army. But this atheist told him, if I believed what you Christians say you believe about a coming judgment and an impenitent rejecters of Christ will be lost, I would crawl on my bare knees on crushed glass all over London, warning men night and day to flee for refuge from the coming day of wrath. That comes from the mouth of an atheist. How much more should we be willing to do whatever God wants us to do? Do I want to crawl on crushed glass on the ground? No, but if he tells me i got to go across that street there and talk to this person that really doesn't care much for me sometimes, but if I'm the one that's supposed to cross that street and speak to them, I'll cross that street. I'll walk, I'll go through that crushed glass to do what God wants done. I want to do the will of the Father, just like Yeshua did. He was there to do the will of the Father who sent him. Well, guess what? I want to do the will of the Father who called me to follow in the footsteps of Yeshua, continue doing the work he started. I want to be the mule-headed donkey that's willing to do it and not be afraid. But I want to go beyond being the donkey because I don't want to freeze in my tracks and not go forward. I want to go forward with confidence, the confidence of Yeshua, knowing that when God says it, it's going to happen, whether I do it or not. Because he'll find somebody that will do it. Believe that. So I'm willing to do what he calls me to do. Are you? Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank you. We bless you. We magnify your name for you are great and greatly to be praised. You've called us to be your ambassadors to the lost. Whether the loss be friends, family, co-workers, or just someone we run into on the street. I pray that you would open doors, the doors to their hearts and minds. That would allow them to hear, receive, and accept what we have to say. But let what we have to say be from you and not from our own intellect. I pray that you would let us become less that you may grow and thrive through us. That we will be your lights into the world as Yeshua was the light of the world. And as Steve prayed earlier, I pray that as we go through the rest of this day and on through the week, that we would carry on this message, this message of redemption, this message of salvation, this message that you are still on the throne, You are in charge, and you love your people so very much. Thank you for opening the door and allowing us to become part of your people. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, Lord, I pray that you would breathe a new life spiritually into us. That your Ruach, your Holy Spirit, would come alive in and through us. And that we will help you to increase your kingdom in Yeshua's name.